One year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. This structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very bush of sand and dirt, you got bog they started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed, this is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. It's great to have you here each and every week. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Cotsbros has a full selection of trapping supplies, traps, snares, baits, and lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get out on the trap line and get going. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a GPS on the trap line. You can mark your location, track your movements, check out landowner information, get the latest aerial imagery, find that at onxmaps.com and you can use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for 20% off. We're also brought to you by the Trapping Today store. You can get anything that I personally put out, uh, my two books, Walter Arnold, Main Trapper, and Fur Profits. You can get the Mustella t-shirt. There are still a bunch of those in stock, restocked. So check that out. Mustella T is a beautiful piece of artwork. And my lures that I make, I've got uh, several different lures there for you to check out. So go to trappingtodaystore.com. Always appreciate the business. And tonight you have a semi-distracted, pretty excited, and a little bit overwhelmed, and uh, ready to get trapping host, (laughs) I guess you could say. Um, We have been trapping here in northern Maine. We have, of course, early seasons for coyote muskrat and beaver well fox and coyote and i've been doing a little bit of the beaver and rat trapping but tomorrow as i record this tomorrow november 1st is the opening day of the general trapping season in maine so it's exciting i'm ready to go that means opening day for the mustelids martin and fisher trap line out in the big woods and again, this is uh, this is a big undertaking. I anticipate it all year long. Um, it's going to be a lot of work, but I think I'm just about ready to go. I didn't have quite enough as much daylight as I would have liked today to get uh, get everything prepared and ready. But we're going to go. We're going to go five five uh, a.m. We'll be rolling and and uh, hopefully get out there and be be setting traps just as uh, daylight starts to break so it'll be good I get all the I got um, I had a truckload of boxes uh, out in the woods a couple weeks ago and then I get another truckload here full ready to go for tomorrow and all pre-done the boxes have bait already in them and the trap uh, the the springs are already on the safeties and compressed ready to go traps got a little bit of wire everything's tagged the trap is in the box so for those ones all i get to do is grab the box and haul it out to my spot in the woods um, open it up set the trap close the box wire it to the trap to the tree and mark it and off i go so that'll be fun i've got about 30 locations already with boxes and I'm all set up and ready to go but then the rest of it beyond that is going to be a thinking game you know enough to figure out where I'm going to set how far I'm going to space the traps out and 
everything else. There's a million things to talk about. Actually, I could probably record an entire episode just on that, and I know I have done that in the past. Um, speaking of entire episodes, I've got a million ideas for episodes and things that I should talk about and want to talk about and haven't got to. And when trapping season comes around, the ideas come like crazy. Um, I no time for interviews, unfortunately, at this point, um, but lots of ideas for, for shows to squeeze in. But I did interview my good friend Josh Fisher up in Fairbanks, Alaska, uh, about a week or so ago. And uh, we talked for probably two and a half hours, as is usual when you get talking trapping with with uh, people like me and Josh. And that was great. So I'm going to chop that up and we're going to do a few episodes out of that. But um, right now I want to talk trapping in the season and things that are fresh in my mind on on my trap line. Uh, but first we'll go to our segments. A tip, a shout out, a book, and an ask. The tip of the week is... When something isn't working, do something different. That simple? Sound pretty simple? <laughs> that um, I have. There's a little bit more to it. So the gist of it of it is, if it's not working, try something different. And I'm gonna explain this, and I think it's gonna make sense when I go through it. But it, this, I can think of a couple of instances right off the top of my head. One which happened this week, actually. Uh, where this has worked and it's something that I constantly resist because naturally as humans we're all kind of naturally have a tendency to be lazy Um, but if something isn't working on the trap line try something different now I'm not saying if you know you gotta say you've got a trap set for an otter at an otter toilet and there's a crossing there and you know he's gonna go through there and the otters don't move through that area probably once every three weeks Um, I, I don't mean set that for a week and then leave or do something different. If if you know the animal is going to go through there and it just hasn't yet, then then you, you do have to wait it out. But what I'm talking about is cases where an animal comes into your set and something was wrong. Either they were not attracted to the baiter lure or the the set physical set itself. Uh, they came in and they maybe set off a trap. They took your stole your bait and didn't set off the trap. Something wasn't right. The animal came in there and they did not get caught. I have a strong tendency to just go back and remake the set just like it was. Or if the set hasn't been touched, just leave it there and say, ah, oh, maybe next time and move on. I got more traps to check. I get get to work and this and that. So last year, no, a couple years ago, one of the, just one that's off top of my head. Because I, when I coyote trapped last year, I was so, you know, I had, I did this like, I'd have him steal the bait, um, pull the bait out of the hole. Bait was gone. Trap was not set off. I'd add a little more blocking, and I'd put more bait in. And then the same thing would happen. And once that happened three, four days in a row, I was like, oh, man, maybe I should change things. Well, by then, you're halfway through that early season, and and you've wasted a lot of nights. So I changed something in a couple places, and guess what happened? They didn't come that night. So, um, it, it, it's extra work. I actually did that at like three or four different sets and then they, then they never came back. So, um, uh, it, it, it's one of those things that you're, you're better off just as soon as you find out something isn't working, um, as soon as you can try something different. So when I was Martin and Fisher trapping a couple of years ago out in the deep woods, I had, I, it was the first year that I, I tried these two different types of Lynx exclusion devices that were required to use. Uh, one was for the 160s and 220 size traps, and one was for the 120s, the smaller ones. And I was noticing the vast majority of my animals were coming from uh, in the smaller boxes, and it didn't seem to have to do with the size of the animal. And so I had a spot, it was, while I was kind of going through this learning process, I had a spot where the I had a fisher come in and circle and circle and circle this big box for that I had a 160 in. And he couldn't he knew he couldn't get to the bait, but he would not go into that box. Just the way it was designed and shaped and everything. He had his tracks right up to the box like he had stuck his head in, but he just would would not or could not get his body in. And I I went ahead and I had and I actually had a Martin as well. And the Martin did the same thing. And the Martin was a lot smaller than the Fisher. And there's absolutely no reason the Martin couldn't get in that box. But 
but they couldn't see the end of the box and there was kind of a blind 90 degree turn they had to make and the Martin didn't do it either. So um, I'd gone to that set a couple of times and I had two different animals at least that went in or went around in circle and didn't go in. Finally I said, okay, I'm going to do something. So I went back to the truck and I grabbed another box that I, I had pulled from someplace else and I baited that and I set that box up. It was a little extra work. It was quite a distance from the truck at that actual set and it was some pretty deep snow at the time but I I put that box that smaller size box directly within you know 10 feet away from the larger box and the next time I went back I had a Martin and so that you know that's fur that I would not have had if I hadn't done that now this week out beaver trapping I had a set and the, the beavers obviously you know, beavers come to caster, and I've been using almost 100% my lure that I make, this uh, Birch River Beaver lure, this fall, and th- that has has worked awesome. I'm also using a little bit of Lennon's Beaver lure, which works awesome as well. Um, but I'm not saying that that my lure is spectacular or anything. I've caught a bunch of beaver on it, but it's beaver are attracted to caster, and it, it this has caster and a little bit of extra food attractant and uh, a, a little kick to it. But beaver are attracted to casters, pretty simple. So I had this set and um, in the other locations I was set up, I was just killing them on these TS-85 drowning sets um, with a little bit of bait, a cat, either a caster mound or stick of aspen and, and some of my lure. And for some reason, there's this one spot where I knew there was just one beaver there and he was going by my set every day. And I let it go for three days three checks and I should have done something earlier but um, actually I after I'd set up I saw another, another guy had a trap there in that location that area so I he was on the other side of the road and I didn't want to mess with where he was set but I went back one day and the, the his trap was gone he must have I don't know if he saw my trap and decided to pull his out or what happened but um, his trap was gone and and I knew I could see where the beaver was going uh, up through this culvert and was going up on shore. Um, and so finally, I just got it through my skull that um, you idiot, he's not come. He's not going to come to your baited lured set. He's just not going to do it. I haven't been able to figure out exactly why. I have a few theories about that in that particular situation, but he wasn't coming in. So I tried something different. I stuck a 330. Um, just underwater in a dive set uh, where that beaver was going up on shore to grab uh, some sticks and tree cut trees down and the next time I went through I had uh, I had the beaver <laughs> so um, if if it's not working try something different that's that's the tip uh, shout out for this week is the shortliner trapping bag from Chris Pope at coyote trapping school coyotetrappingschool.com uh, you should be able to find that bag there um, let me pull up the website that's yeah, at coyotetrappingschool.com shop and Chris sent me one of these bags uh, probably a year and a half ago to try out he was he had just recently started making them and I get the bag and I was looking it over and I thought you know it doesn't look like the most rugged thing I've ever seen in my life and I I am really hard on stuff. I said, I'm going to beat the living snot out of this bag and see if I can tear it up. <laughs> and uh, uh, I took that thing. I used it last year trapping coyotes for my our early se- fox and coyote season. And then I ended up uh, this winter using it for beaver trapping just because I had all my a bunch of my equipment in there and I started pulling out the coyote stuff and I needed a place to put my... my um, beaver trap and stuff and it just the bag is is long it's it's a really long shape and it holds all of your like your drivers and your hammer and your trowel everything that's like too long for a five gallon pail and is a pain to dig in and out of a pack basket and whatever um, it fits perfectly in this bag so I just had my my tote sled behind the snowmobile and I stuck my my ice skimmer and uh, my 330 setters and some 330s and wire and a bunch of other stuff uh, in in that and a little axe and I put that in the sled in in the uh, the shortliner bag and use that for 
few weeks in the wintertime, and then come spring, I used it for spring beaver trapping, hammered it then, and uh, this fall I used it again, and I used it to trap beaver this fall, and just absolutely um, beat it hard. I'm using it hard, and the only thing about the bag is the uh, Coyote logo that Chris has that's kind of um, molded, I don't know, it's it's like uh, printed on there somehow. Um, it's completely worn off. You can't you can't hardly see any of the letters at all. Um, that that's just a testament to how how much I've used this thing. But it's like a poly material. This this bag, um, it's got a wired top, so it stays uh, nice and open. It's got holes in the bottom. It drains water out. I've had it in a beaver pond, um, in the water, in and out of the water a little bit. So the thing is pretty awesome. Uh, Sixty bucks, man. Um, I think uh, if you're looking for a trapping bag, go ahead and get that. You're not going to regret it. The book of the week is The Last Hunt by Jackson Whitman. Jack Whitman is also known as Gulo, G-U-L-O, on Trapper Man. He is a trapper from Idaho. He's an old-timer. He used to trap in Alaska. I think he was in the McGrath area. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but... Uh, he's an incredibly knowledgeable guy. He's also a wildlife biologist, and he still teaches uh, wolf trapping school in Idaho for for people who um, are looking to trap wolves there. And I think he teaches wolf trapping in other places as well. But um, real great guy, and also a great writer. So he's he wrote that book uh, quite a few years ago. Um, I. I found out about it a couple years ago. I, I picked up a copy of it. Of it. Um, you can find it on Amazon. Um, and uh, it's it's just an awesome adventure book about a couple of uh, sheep hunters up in the mountains in Alaska. And something goes terribly wrong. And the guy has to um, has to survive in, and, uh, in, in the middle of the harsh winter with almost nothing uh, to survive with. Uh, incredible adventure story and it also weaves a little bit of trapping in into things as well so it's pretty cool check out the last hunt if you're looking for something um, to pick up and read and finally the ask we are in week three of the Kellen campaign email cotsbros at gmail.com ask to get Kellen on the podcast we gotta put a little social pressure on Kellen this is election season so I am uh, looking for your cooperation in this campaign. Uh, if you place an order from Cotsbros in your comment section, please uh, insert the comment. Hey, would love to see Kellen on Jeremiah's podcast. Would love to see him on Trapping today. Uh, we want to hear more from Kellen. All right. So that's the Kellen campaign. That's the ask. And now let's get into the meat of the episode. So, like I mentioned, I've been beaver trapping here for oh probably i guess i guess it wouldn't be quite two weeks probably 10 days now uh, off and on and i've you know i've i've been in and out of quite a few beaver flowages i have as usual learned a lot of things and that's kind of been a goal of mine is uh, you know my beaver trapping experience uh, let's just say that i have caught hundreds of beaver but not thousands and so uh, the guys in my mind that catch thousands of beaver and the ones that uh, use their their head and try to learn from every experience on the trap line after thousands of experiences you really get things uh, figured out and things start to click that's actually another uh, episode subject that would probably be a fun one is when things start to click because I've had actually a couple of things that this past spring and and the past 10 days or so I've had things that have clicked and it's been like a light bulb moment and all of a sudden your confidence in something that you weren't quite confident in before just explodes so so it's good um, but one of the things that that to me that helps uh, me learn things is is actually writing them down and sharing experiences and and I actually tell a lot of stories with the few people that I do interact with and I always, I kind of know subconsciously in the back of my mind that I'm, I'm telling the story for my benefit as much as it is for their benefit, because that's how I remember things. You know, when I repeat and tell, retell a story, it, it kind of 
uh, helps solidify it in my memory bank and uh, and hopefully I can recall that more easily later on. So trying to build up this knowledge and, and understanding and, and remember things, but when you go out and you bang out um, a few days on the trap line and then you move on and, and start doing something else and you don't really have time to write down much for notes and you don't you don't memorialize anything in writing and you don't talk about it too much with people it kind of tends to drift away and you think oh how did, what did I would I catch on this set at this look at what happened there and so so one of my goals one of the the benefits of this podcast that I've noticed is it's allowed me to put my stories together um, I've always been uh, I, I won't I won't I'll, I'll, I'm not afraid to say I'm, I'm a good writer. Um, I've always been a good writer, a gifted writer. Um, I, it, that's been just a strong point of mine. That's one of the reasons, again, I started the website and I never wanted to start a podcast because I'm not nearly the talker that I am the writer. However, the, the struggle, the thing that has frustrated me with myself over the years is that I really haven't put in the time and do done the writing that I should be doing and I feel like I'm definitely not getting anywhere near my potential um, as a, a writer it just falls to the bottom of the list you know I I do write a monthly column for a hunting and fishing paper here in Maine and that's a quick easy thing to to bang out um, I usually review outdoor books and I try to sneak in some trapping articles there as often as I can but that you know, beyond that, you know, I did the Walter Arnold book and that was great, but it wasn't my own personal other than just, you know, my interplay between Walt's stories and my observations. Uh, it wasn't full on like me writing 300 pages of stuff from, uh, from the top of my head. And so I haven't done it. I want to do it, but I've been telling myself that for years and I haven't got around to it. In fact, there's stories from last year's trapping season that I would love to tell and I would love to have written, but I just uh, haven't gotten to it. And so my my greatest fear is that um, I have these experiences. This happened in Montana, big game hunting. I had all kinds of experiences. I never wrote anything down and I stopped talking about the stories and and the stuff that I didn't write down it has kind of drifted away and I've forgotten a lot of the small details. So one of the side benefits to this podcast is I've noticed I've had the chance to talk and tell stories about things and that has given me uh, kind of a, a little bit of a, a record of what's gone on. So for instance, I never wrote about my coyote trapping last fall, but I did do a, a, a podcast episode on it and I can always go back to that and jog my memory of the details and hopefully use that in the future to when I do get things uh, buckled down to go ahead and, and write an article on coyote trapping. So things like that are uh, are kind of what I'm, I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to do a little more of that here as we're in the middle of the trapping season. And so I'm going to go into a little bit of, of my beaver trapping here the last, I don't know, 10 days or so. And I will try to be somewhat brief with it because I should be in bed right now. Um, but I got to get this podcast done so I can get to bed and get up early and, and go set traps in the woods. But, um, it, just, uh, getting into it, sort of a setup for this season. I, I really wasn't prepared to get out on the coyote trap line early on. And so I made the decision that I was going to focus on getting ready for Martin and fisher season and, uh, instead of coyotes, do some early season beaver trapping. And, you know, the reason, one of the big reasons for beaver trapping early in the season, uh, number one, you can get in before the ice because uh, actually just today I started getting a bunch of ice as I was pulling some sets and it was it was a, a bit challenging. But also, you, you need bait. It's, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity to get fresh bait for Martin and Fisher. And so, uh, that was kind of my goal is is to do that and and to get some furs and surprisingly I mean a, a lot of you might not think you know the last 10 days of October that the pelts would be any good they're 
you would be surprised the quality of the pelts for this time of year. I mean, you know you're not talking about January or February beaver pelt, but they're they're good. I mean, you can do a lot with these. Um, and uh, I, I'm really, I've been really satisfied, really happy with them. So the, the you got the carcasses, you get the, the meat, you get the pelts. Um, also, you know, other beaver, other stuff for the beaver, the, uh, the caster. And that was a big part of my decision because I'm starting to make a little bit of this lure and sell it. And so I, I've been buying some beaver caster, but I don't, I would kind of like to catch it because it's kind of expensive to buy and so I'm I'm trying to to sort of catch more beavers so I can have enough caster to make uh, a little bit of lure that I'm selling um, so it all kind of came together so this is what I was going to do I, I get ahead and get some beaver sets in and uh, and do all that and and uh, be ready for the the main general trapping season that starts tomorrow well one little kink uh, in our plans was that between the 1st of June and about the middle of September, here in northern Maine, we had the driest summer ever on record since, I don't know when they've been keeping records. Uh, it's been probably 100 years or so. So everything is basically basically dried up here. And beaver were nowhere to be found. Uh, Talked to the the guys, the road guys uh, out in the woods that are constantly dealing, the town guys constantly dealing with beaver problems. This summer they didn't have beaver problems. There was just no water. The beaver disappeared. I was scouting. I was looking around. I couldn't find beaver anywhere. We, I mean, we've been amazed myself and a few other people I've been talking with and that the lack of of any active beaver activity in the miles and miles and miles that we've driven. It's like they're ev- they were everywhere. And then all of a sudden they're nowhere. And I, it was, I was talking to a friend at work, like it isn't it ironic that the one time that I'm actually trying to get after some beavers and we're, we're looking for them, we can't find any. And so, um, one of the theories that some of the old timers, the local guys I've talked to here have, and I, I think this is, there's a good chance that this is what went on is when, as because things were so incredibly dry and the water was so incredibly low, you know, my initial theory was, well, the beavers didn't have enough cover and, and they were exposed uh, to predators and coyotes got a lot of them because, they, you know, they need that water to protect them from, from predators like coyotes. Um, and that probably happened in a lot of cases. Um, but the other theory was that beavers moved down into the larger rivers, larger streams and rivers where there was water um, and kind of packed in there all summer. And the reason that I think there's some merit to that theory is sometime about the middle of September, it finally started to rain and it rained and it rained. And I think from the beginning of the summer until mid-September, I think we got the entire summer since snow, we got like eight inches of rain. Again, it was driest on record for here. Eight inches of rain total. And in about two weeks in September, we got another eight inches. <laughs> and so everything exploded. It went from as dry as it's ever been to as high, not as high as it's ever been, but high, 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 like spring runoff, rain on snow high. It was just unbelievable. And just a few days, within a few days after that, beavers started showing up places. Places they hadn't been all summer. Places, that, I, I talked with the one of the ADC guys that does uh, beaver for one of the timber companies. And he said he was, he didn't have any work all summer long. And all of a sudden it rained and he's working like 80 hours a week right now and he can't keep up. He's getting calls all over the, the northern part of the state. And he jokes that when it rains, they, the beavers just drop out of the sky. And it's almost like they dropped out of the sky. Um, they, they showed up everywhere. The, the only bad part of that about that um, is what they showed up in singles and pairs. Um, there weren't these big families of beavers showing up. So that was, um, that was a real issue in, in sort of uh, my experience here trapping is, 
is that you kind of had to locate a lot of places in order to find enough beaver to, to trap. So scouting was kind of non-existent and the scouting that was done was almost worthless because the beaver just weren't there. And then all of a sudden, like a couple weeks before the season, they, you know, you, they all of a sudden showed up and well, if, if you've already driven 50 miles of this, this big road system, do you really want to go back and drive that again to see if what showed up lately? So it's uh, it it was hard to scout, but I I kind of pieced a few things together. Actually, another spot I did finally I found one spot like real close, not not too far from from me, and it was, looked really good. And it was during the dry weather, and I I was kind of surprised that there were beaver there. I was kind of excited. It only looked maybe there's only one or two beaver, and I went up and kind of looked things over, and there's a dead beaver floating in the in the pond and I think hunters it was during bird season I think hunters had shot it um but but anyway for the most part I was driving driving and and found essentially no sign so about a week or two after all this rain um I decided to go up in the woods and get some of my Martin Fisher boxes out and this goes back to like I was remembering we I was listening to the intro here in the podcast and you hear Kyle Cott saying develop a system you have to put the work in ahead of time to build a big trap line and that's kind of the I I always keep that in the back of my mind with this Martin and Fisher line because that you really do ha- have to put that work in ahead of time and so I, I wanted to have uh, at least one truckload of boxes out in the woods so that the opening day I could set two truckloads worth of boxes at different locations. And when I was out there, I kind of kept my eye on where uh, it looked like there was beaver sign. And I found uh, a couple, I found a couple of locations and I actually ran into a guy and he told me about another two locations, one of which turned out to, to be good. And they're kind of, I kind of was able to piece these together in a little bit of a loop. And so uh, I ended up having three places to, uh, to, to make sets. And I decided to, to kind of set those out uh, early in the season. Um, in the meantime, I actually had uh, a friend that uh, was looking for some beaver carcasses for his Martin and Fisher trapping. And he was doing some early coyote trapping. And he uh, was giving me a little bit of intel. So he, so every time he'd go on a road system and he'd see beaver flowage, he'd, he'd get back into town and, and shoot me a text or an email with the locations. And so uh, uh, in addition to the three spots I had, there were a couple of others I was able to p- pull together um, with that information. So I get to the first spot. And this is, it's actually a brook that I fished quite a bit in the summertime in previous years when there was actually water and rain. And uh, it's a really good sized stream. It's actually almost too big for beavers to act, to be able to, to hold a dam on. But they try, they always try. And there were beavers here. They had the upstream end of this big, big, big culvert uh, plugged up and uh, after the rains came, it washed out the dam, but uh, and the water was just way too fast and high for them to be able to patch it up. Um, but the house was there, the feed pile was there, and the beavers were there. I actually was when I was out there. Um, the uh, I guess probably a few days before I I set it up, there was a beaver swimming around the pond. And I I got some video footage of him on my phone. And he was just kind of circling and sniffing and sniffing and circling around. And I stood still and he knew I was there, but he couldn't figure out what I was. And so, and he couldn't see me. They don't have very good eyesight at all. And so he was just circling, coming along the edges. And, and I thought, boy, this is, this is going to be a good spot for a, a, uh, a lured set. <laughs> and sure enough, it was. So this, this location, um, I had over by the culvert and the dam, there was one spot there that it looked like I could I could put a set in, and so I did. I put in a TS85 there on a slide wire um, drowning rig with a rock bag, and of course there was six seven feet of water uh, um, in in that pool above the culvert there, so it was there was no problem uh, finding enough water to drown beaver, 
and I had my Birch River Beaver Lure and a little bit of Aspen there. And I just kind of pounded that Aspen stick and the rocks, there's, you know, big, massive riprap rocks um, on alongside the culvert there um, and, and the side of the road. And I got, I punched a set in there. And then I went over to kind of walked around. You couldn't walk directly to the house. The water was just way too deep. I walked around uh, the edge of the flowage and I found spots where the beavers were coming up on shore to uh, to cut trees and stuff. And I found a couple of really good runs. And, and as I kind of halfway between shore and the beaver lodge, I set three, two 330s in those runs. And then I walked around to the other side of the, the beaver house. And it was kind of on a peninsula, sort of, I guess a bit of an island, but there was a high, some high ground um, that right next to the house and it was kind of dry land and you could see where the beaver were coming up on that dry land to, to feed and there were a bunch of peeled sticks there and stuff and on the edge of the water uh, and it was another perfect spot I had to do a little bit of extra blocking but I, I got a TS-85 in there as well and I did uh, the same thing bait you know bait stick and, and lure and both of those foothold sets I set for a hind foot catch and that was one of the things that kind of clicked for me this season is uh, is being successful with that hind foot catch. I've in the past gone for the front foot more often, uh, mainly to be honest with you because I was not as confident as I got in deeper water and further away from uh, the approach to the, the shore that I was less confident that I could direct the beaver's foot into that trap. Um, but as I've made more catches in using that um, method, I've I've obviously become a lot more confident in it. So I set the four sets there. Went on down the road, and there was another flowage, and it was kind of there was a culvert at the road, and you could see a little bit of beaver sign there, but there wasn't much. But when I scouted this, I walked um, through the woods, and it was about a hundred yards through some really thick woods. Um, but it, but I could hear water rushing. I finally got to the dam. And there's just this big, massive, massive dam. It was like, I don't know, f probably five feet high. And a big lodge and, and uh, the whole big feed pile, the whole works. And so um, that one, what I did, I hated to walk all the way to the dam um, from the road every time. And plus, you got to carry everything in there to make the set um, on your back or in your arms. And it was a little bit challenging. I, I kind of wanted to make a foothold set there, but I didn't quite, uh, I didn't want to carry 35, 40 pounds of rocks in there and there wasn't any rock there to do, to work with. And so um, I set there. What I did is I made a dam set and I just, uh, and I've had a lot of luck with this set in the past, um, but for some reason it didn't, it didn't, end up working this this time around but um, basically a 330 perpendicular to the dam and set just under the water um, a few blocking sticks coming out perpendicular to the dam and with the goal of catching the beaver as he is traveling parallel to the dam and kind of um, just doing his check you know looking at the dam making sure everything's in good repair patching up a few low spots whatever and as he's working along that dam, oh, there's a couple sticks I get to go around. And then he's got a, a stick right at the surface of the water. He's got to dive under, and he swims right through a 330. Whack! Um, so I made that set. And then I went down. Another really good spot to look for is down below the dam. Oftentimes in these smaller streams, you'll have the stream will kind of gather back into a channel. And in this case, it, it was a, a narrow channel, probably about, you know, maybe 14 to 18 inches wide um, and the beaver were coming down right over the center of the dam down the the bank and right through that channel and moving down and kind of breaking off that channel about I don't know 50 to 100 feet downstream of the dam and and going and cutting trees all around there and so that was a main travel way. So I set a 330 in that channel. Again, we have to set 330s completely underwater. So I set it just underwater with a little stick, a dive stick over top of it.
and then I went back to the road. Now, this is a case where I I didn't really know how often the beavers were coming all the way that 100 yards up to the road. There wasn't really any food there, and there wasn't a dam to maintain there. So I I don't but I but there were peeled sticks and so they were at you know to a certain extent they were going up there, and so I made two sets there. Both of them were 330 sets, and they were both just underwater. One was to get beaver as it was coming up on on the road bank up to the road bank, um, and with a little bit of lure kind of on uh, some brush just by the road, and then the other one was a set that the this old time, this ADC guy taught me um, last year, which was kind of a no-brainer, simple set. But I, I, I had never, I don't know, I'd never thought to make it, and I started making them, and they were working. So um, I, I set one there as well, and it was just basically uh, a three. You had a kind of a unique way of the way you brace three thirty and all that, and and uh, and where you where you place the lure. But it was basically some lure just above a three thirty that was just under the water. And I set that and went. Then I got to the next spot, and this was quite a few miles down the road, and there was, I was pretty sure there was one beaver there, but what do I know, right? I could not find a house. I figured he was living in a bank somewhere. I walked up and downstream, no house, but there were peeled sticks everywhere. Um, There was a bit of a dam just downstream of this bridge, and the beavers were, were, the beaver or beavers were moving around pretty good. But I only really had one good spot to, to set a, a foothold drowning set TS-85, which is what I did. Um, there were really no narrow, there was only one place I could set a 330. It was a side channel that was kind of came down the road ditch and entered the stream just above the bridge. And you could see where a beaver was moving up into that channel to uh, to feed and uh, had a few cut trees and, and stuff and poles in that channel. So I set a 330 in that channel just underwater and then I set the right by the road, um, kind of the uh, the road embankment just next to the bridge. I set that TS-85 hind foot catch set um, with, um, again, I had the same thing. I had a stick popple and Birch River Beaver lure there on a slide wire down into about eight feet of water. Um, heading back down, I had a couple of other spots, but I actually... I didn't set those up um, right that day because I kind of ran out of time. Um, but I had two other spots. One it, that my friend had told me about. It was right on the main road, and I thought the ADC guys would be all all over it. But he said the beavers were in there. I so I I stopped and I looked, and the dam was broken. Um, there was I don't know six or eight foot, maybe a ten foot breach in the dam, and I I was quite sure that. The ADC guy had gone in and breached that dam, but I didn't see any traps or anything. So, all right, moved on. And uh, then I I kind of just, uh, oh, I did stop at one other spot. And there was, this road was flooded and there's this swamp area um, that has always had beaver problems in it. Over, it's perennial the last 30 years. Almost every year there's a beaver problem there. And the ADC guys go in, kill the beavers, and then more beavers move in. Um, so the beavers with the high water had moved in there, and they this one there were six pickup trucks that drove by me as I was checking that out and getting ready to set it. Um, that was incredibly frustrating. It's a main road. There's lots and lots of bird hunters around, and so I made two 330 sets, and they were both on the extreme edges. They're actually probably 200 yards apart. Believe it or not, that's how wide this area was where the road was flooded but I made them way in the corners kind of on the edge where hopefully no one would see and I figured the ADC guy was going to be there because there's water lots of water running over the road so I I wasn't too concerned um, about about uh, whether or not I'd catch a beaver there I wasn't too confident put it that way so I boogied on home and a few days later I I went back to check the sets so um, the very first location was that culvert and that larger stream, and I had the four sets there. And the very first set, which was the TS-85 hindfoot catch set, uh, nothing. Nothing had touched it. Nothing had gone to it, which kind of surprised me. Hmm. 
I went to the 330s. I thought for sure I'd have one of the 330s. Nothing. Both 330s were just as they had been set. So nothing moved through those channels. And I get to the back side of the house on that little peninsula where they've been coming up on land. And I, boom, I had a beaver there. So I had a nice, good-sized beaver in the hind foot, cop of the hind foot in that drowning set in the TS-85. So through that, the truck went on down the road. And the that next set was that where the, that spot where the uh, the dam was 100 yards back in the woods. And I... Actually, I, I cheated a little bit. I was going to go back to the dam first, but I looked I looked ahead of time at the road, and I had two beavers. <laughs> I had two beavers in those 330 sets that I had by the road, 100 yards from the dam, probably 75 yards from the house, um, with almost no, seemingly no food around. Two big, large adult beavers had, had gone all the way out there and... And both had gotten caught in those 330 sets. <laughs> so I had to, I went down to the dam and, and I had nothing in the in the dam sets or, or the dam set or the channel set. I went down the road to the bridge where I had had that one little channel set with the 330, nothing in there. And the TS-85 hindfoot set with the bait and lure on the bridge abutment. And I had a beaver there. It was drowned uh, down the end of the slide wire. Everything was awesome. And uh, so I kind of made my way out of there. I headed back home. I stopped that spot where I'd, uh, I had set kind of in the corners of, uh, of that flooded road, and I didn't have anything in those. So that was kind of my first swing through this. And, and I got to note that this, that loop was approximately, oh, if, probably 75 miles and so this is not this is no joke this is not something that I would drive for two or three beaver um, but of course because I had set my boxes out that was kind of part of the gig and so so I I kind of felt like it was a little bit justified but I wasn't going to check this four or five times um, so I kind of decided that uh, that I was going to check one or two more times and that was going to be the end of it and as it turned out, I ended up checking it one more time, and that was when uh, <clears throat> I had um, I had, it was basically bo- I, th- I believe I s- had the sets out for two nights before the first check and two nights before the second check, and I pulled in the second check. Um, but when I when I did that first check. Um, I also set up two more locations, and I had the one spot on the road where I said there was a breach in the dam, and I figured the ADC guy had had been there. That breach was patched up, and so obviously there was a beaver there. So I decided to to throw a couple sets in there and see what I could do. Didn't know exactly what was there. Um, I actually found out the story later uh, from the ADC guy who was there, um, but <laughs> but anyway. I set, I made one of those dam sets, the same thing I had done before with, you know, uh, a little bit of a dive stick and traveling parallel to the dam. And I made a, a set and kind of a channel that they were coming up on shore way on the other side uh, of the road. And then I had a spot, there was kind of a, you know, oftentimes you have these little, the dam isn't just in one place. So when beavers put in a dam a lot of times they raise the water level and all of a sudden the water starts spilling over to some place off to the side in a completely different area well there was one of those here and there was a kind of this this side channel and it was opened up and the beavers hadn't they they i guess hadn't yet patched it the only thing i can figure is they had patched the the main spot to to at least get the water back up there where the ADC guy had, had broke that out and then this water was now flowing through this other channel and so the, there was a spot there that was open up in the dam and in this zone it's some it's funny in Maine I'm in four different zones where I live kind of right next to four different zones and uh some of them you can trap on the dam and some of them you have to be five feet off the dam. But in this particular zone, you could trap right on the dam. There's no setback requirement. And so I set the 330 um, right off of just 
kind of approaching the dam where the beaver would be coming from its lodge and going to to patch up that dam and I had it I guess I had it like maybe three feet two or three feet back uh, figuring that uh, he was going to go investigate that hopefully didn't have too much of a big stick uh, with him while he was going through to clog up or set off the trap or anything hopefully he was going head first and I had just a little bit kind of a real subtle dive stick to make him put his head down Um, and uh, it was just enough water was like a duke 330 so it was like um, nine inches high or whatever there and uh, it was it was just enough water to to kind of cover that um, and had that set there then I had another spot that was kind of closer to town as you're going back into town and I set I had three 330s there two of them in runs and one of them kind of a, a spot where the beaver was kind of he wasn't he was going over the road and right next to the culvert and he was coming down back into the water on the other side uh, adjacent to the culvert and then there's kind of a bank on the other side so there's kind of this little funnel where he was coming down through and I figured right where he was coming into the water and about five feet beyond that had a dive stick and a 330 under that so I had those set up and then when I came through and and uh, checked the second time Basically, I ended up pulling everything for a couple of different reasons, but the the primary reason was that I was not going to go back and drive another 75 plus miles for another two or three beaver. So the second time around, I went to uh, check slash pull and back to the very first location, that big culvert, that big stream, and uh, I I had nothing in the the uh, the set the the two three thirties that I had in the runs there again, which was kind of surprising, but I went to the spot right by the road. I looked down where I had that TS eighty five that hadn't been touched before and it was gone. Okay, so all right, I looked down the slide wire and the slide wire is going right to the culvert, and there is literally a it's a like floodwaters going through this culvert. It's just big, massive white water. It's so loud you like you could be five feet away from someone that couldn't hear you talking. It was just big, massive rush of water, and my my eighth inch cable was going right directly toward that, and then right down in the culvert with the water. I thought, oh great, this is gonna be something. Um, it's sure enough. Um, I had. Uh, the beaver and the rock bag in that rushing water in that culvert. And it was like, it was tense for a minute there because I had to get that 40 pound beaver and the 40 pounds of rock rocks out of that culvert without falling in, getting washed through the culvert and uh, potentially getting injured or drowned and uh, anyway, it all worked out. I was able to, to get him out of there with a little bit of sweat and uh, hauled him up on shore. And I had nothing in the other three sets, so I, I pulled everything there. But there were there ended up being two adult beavers there. And, and there could have been more, but I, I, I don't really think there was. Um, I went back to that spot where the dam was 100 yards from the road and nothing in those two sets by the road that I had caught beaver in before. But I went down to the dam, not, nothing in the dam set, but that channel down below the dam, uh, was the, the 330 was set off. And I couldn't really see much. Well, the reason I couldn't see much is because there's the, probably one of the smallest beavers I've ever caught in my life uh, was in that 330. So it was just a little kit. Um, and I was kind of surprised it gone that distance from, from the house, actually. Uh, but anyway, got that, pulled those traps, moved on. I get to the bridge, and this was a little sketchy. So I get to the bridge, and I look, and I got a beaver in that foothold trap. Nothing in the 330 um, in that little side channel. But I had a beaver in that same trap that I had caught before. But he was floating. He wasn't drowned all the way on the bottom, you know, the rock bag in that deep pool. And, uh, all right, well, anyway, it turns out he had, um, he got caught in that trap, hind foot catch, TS-85, and he'd started his way down the slide wire, and he must have uh, somehow, I don't know if he dove under the slide wire and come around, and he got he got the trap chain tangled around the slide wire. And so he didn't, he wasn't drowned. 
Well, the reason he was floating there dead, someone had driven by on the road and shot him. And so I kind of looked at it and I wondered what was going on, you know, and, and all of a sudden I saw the head and I was like, oh, there you go. <laughs> so so um, it's illegal uh, for someone to, to do that, obviously. But I honestly, it was a good um, headshot. It was a clean kill. It it uh, finished off the beaver. It didn't ruin the pelt. And it uh, I was happy. I didn't mind. Did me a favor, in my opinion. I actually called up... Uh, a guy that was I know that's in that area and asked him if he shot it because he's kind of I, I know him pretty well and uh, I was gonna thank him but he said he said no I uh, so so anyway um, but we had that beaver so I I pulled that I was glad to pull that because it was just a major I hate setting on those major traveled roads um, and then I went down to the spot where the the on the road with the animal damage control where I figured the ADC guy had been, and I had nothing in the dam set, and I had nothing in the channel up uh, away from the house, but that side dam, that little kind of overflow dam, I had a beaver in that 330, and he was all covered up in sticks. <laughs> and so uh, he had gone in to patch that, he got caught in the 330, and then another beaver had come and patched that dam on top of him. And so, uh, so I pulled that, I pulled that all out. And as I, as I found out later, the, the ADC guy uh, went back, um, after I, I had pulled out. So he didn't see my traps and I didn't see his traps. He had pulled the dam before I'd set. And then I'd gone in and set, I'd caught that beaver. I pulled out and he went back in, pulled the dam again. He saw that it had been patched up. He pulled it again and he set his trap and he caught another one there. And so we got talking on the phone later on. It is like, uh, oh yeah, and uh, and uh, he says, yeah, you know, I caught one. And he's talking about the spot. I said, yeah, I caught, a, I trapped a beaver there too. And we were kind of put the pieces together with each other, and so it all kind of made sense there. And and he was happy because it was one less beaver that he had to catch. And he figured after I'd got that one, he had gotten the last one. And so those were those were all cleaned up. And the final spot, I didn't have anything. I, I think there it was a single beaver, and I just think I didn't give it enough time. Two days wasn't wasn't enough to to uh, uh, have that beaver kind of move where I needed him to move. So that was that first loop. It was a lot of driving. It was uh, you know, but but it was a lot of fun. It was and, and learned a little bit, set some different types of sets, and and pieced together a few beavers. And so uh, so that was great. And and it was another case where you kind of learn when when you should pull and move on and when you should leave traps in and there were actually a few other spots that someone had told me about and I actually and I didn't even set them because I it was just a, a little too far out of the way to, to even bother with and um, it's tough you know beaver 10 bucks even if you're getting uh, a better price for them and you're using all the parts and everything it's you're still talking you know a lot of time and money and and fuel and Actually, today, this morning, I drove, I drove more for a beaver than I than I ever will again. I mean, <laughs> unless they go up to about seventy five dollars a pelt, but it, that's that's just the way it goes sometimes. And um, y- there's a reason why everybody's not out here doing this. And speaking of driving long distances and going deep in the woods, I get to get out there tomorrow morning, and it is getting late, and I'm not even halfway through my beaver stories. <laughs> so. Um, Long story short, I I think I've got like oh maybe 18 beavers for this early season, and had had a heck of a time, had a lot of good experiences, and I hopefully maybe next week or sometime here in the next couple of weeks I'll kind of finish that th- those little stories and talk about a few of the details. We had a lot of fun taking my boys out checking beaver traps together here by the house and. Had a few other spots that I set up and and uh, enjoyed, and I I do still have 3:30. I have I have some sets in two locations right now, two flowages I still have set up, and I'll continue to run those. I I may pull those uh, middle to late this week, um, but until next time, uh, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping, and let's get into the Cots Brothers message of the week. This week, uh, we are going to 
again promote the TWD Got P Cotsbros T-shirt. This is a fundraiser for um, the former Cotsbros employee Tommy Downing. He worked for Cotsbros from 2007 to 2015. Tommy was an excellent company man, befriended many customers, attended conventions, worked hard. Original Got P T-shirts from Cotsbros were Tommy's idea. On September 6, 2020, he tragically died in an automobile accident. And so this limited edition TWD Got P t-shirt is in his honor. And all proceeds from the sale of these shirts will be given to his three kids. Supplies are limited, ordered now. They are available in small, medium, large, XL, and 2XL. I got mine last week. Um, they're nice Gildan heavy cotton t-shirts. Um, pretty cool design. And they got the TWD on the sleeve. And uh, I gave, you You can also, when you place an order, you can also donate. Um, just give like a $5 donation if you don't want the t-shirt. Or I got the t-shirt and did several $5 donations. I think it's the least that we could do. And, and uh, you know, when I had, I had a tough time. I, I'll never forget my first shed burned down. And, and uh, Kellen sent me a big box full of stuff. So, you know, that, that's, uh, it's good. It's good to help people out. Um, so check that out at cotsbros.com and let's get going trapping guys. It's coming. The season's here in the Northern States. Um, the Southern boys, sorry, you're going to have to keep hearing us talk about trapping. Um, and, uh, but, but you know, before you know it, you'll be out there and, uh, you'll be running some steel and I'll be jealous in, in, uh, January and February when you're catching all those coyotes. So, all right, guys, take care and, uh, have, have fun out there. We'll catch you in the next episode.